Hi, I'm Bob Eckblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple. Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. Today I want to focus on the word dimension of disciple, specifically on the word preach or proclaim, which is everywhere in the Gospels. I myself saw the word preach as sort of a toxic word when applied to myself. You know, growing up I had um, experiences that were positive, I think, uh, with preachers who were outstanding communicators, um, first in a Presbyterian church, then in an evangelical covenant church where I grew up. Uh, the preachers that spoke in these churches were super educated, articulate people who were great at telling jokes and entertaining, as well as drawing from scripture. But they did it from a stage and behind a podium. And me, I could never imagine myself being a pastor of a church like that, you know, being a master of ceremonies kind of person. And so I just assumed that that just wasn't my calling. And my interests lie, lay elsewhere. I, at about age 13, I started climbing mountains. Um, I did a, a whole, uh, most of the volcanoes in Washington state. I was part of an explorer troop that um, was, that really caught my interest. And I kind of dedicated myself to training to do um, alpine ascents in the North Cascades and then eventually in the Bugaboos, Columbian ice fields in, you know, in uh, Alberta, Canada with plans to go to Patagonia, to the Alps, to Baffin Island. Um, I spent lots of time in Yosemite climbing walls. And a lot of that was just to train for more serious alpine ascents. And so um, it was that um, skill that I developed, I guess, climbing, that led uh, this friend of mine, David Dave Willis, the head of Sierra Treks, to invite me to be a guide for their alpine you know, climbing week or 10 day um, trainings that they would do. And so we'd go out to the Sierras and the um, Oregon Cascades with groups. And I was the, the guide that took people up mountains. And uh, I remember this was a faith-based program. And so there were Bible studies that took place, but I wasn't the guy that was uh, asked to lead the Bible studies. I was the sort of the ropes guy, the person that was the, the guide up the mountain. And, uh, but I remember one day, some, one of the per people, the person who was assigned to lead the Bible study couldn't do it or couldn't go on the trip. And so Dave Willis asked me if I would lead a Bible study. And I thought, oh, you know, I mean, I grew up in the church. I went to a private Christian school. I, I knew the Bible and I liked the Bible. And uh, what the heck, I'd try it out. And it was my style, you know, in camp at the end of the day, around a campfire, you know, I remember leading a Bible study of sorts. And and I actually found that I really liked it. And uh, the people liked the way I did it. And so they wanted me to do more. And so I began um, doing the, the Bible study part of, of, uh, the, of the evening uh, more and more and more. And um, so I worked for Sierra Treks. Uh, and in the beginning, it was just all technical. And by the end, um, I, was, I was leading these Bible studies and loving it. And then when Gracie and I moved to Central America in 1982, 40 years ago now, we, um, you know, our goal was not to not to be missionaries, not to really see ourselves as evangelizing, but to go in complete humility. Uh, we were very inspired by Philippians 2 of just uh, like Jesus emptying himself and taking on the form of a servant. You know, we wanted to 
try to consider others' interests as more important than our own and come in really humbly and serve people at their point of need, you know, their needs as they define their needs. And so we ended up um, being involved in establishing a sustainable farming model farm where we grew corn and beans and vegetables. And with the help of Fernando, this 53-year-old peasant, who was a master organic intensive farmer, and then Catalina, who was a woman who'd come to faith. She'd been our Spanish uh, language teacher in Guatemala. She was a Quiche Maya social worker. And so the four of us, we lived in this little farm in the out, on the outskirts of Minas de Oro, Honduras. And um, But what, what we did was every afternoon, every evening, we'd fire up our our oil lamp or Coleman's, uh, you know, a lantern, and we would gather and we'd read a scripture and and discuss it. And you know that was uh, that was something that turned out to be um, a real learning, a place of great learning for for all of us. Uh, Fernando was not a believer in God. He considered himself an agnostic. He would always tell us, you know, when I die, I know I'm not going to be raised, and I don't believe in the resurrection. I'm going to be at best, uh, compost for a fruit tree. But there at our table, when we were reading the gospel accounts or, or the psalm or whatever we were looking at, you know, Fernando in the beginning seemed so unaffected by anything that we do, were discussing or reading. But little by little, his guard came down and he began to engage with us. And we saw the power of scripture. And um, I guess maybe we were also learning how to read really humbly and carefully asking good questions. And so um, little by little, Fernando began to um, find faith. And this was something that nourished us as a team, even though our goal was not to, you know, to spread spread that sort of uh, message around. We were just uh, it was mobilizing us as servants of the poor. So uh, three years into our time in Honduras, we got asked by uh, some people in a remote village called San Antonio to start our farming course with the Bible study. And this was because a known murderer had shown up and people were nervous. And and so I reluctantly um, agreed to do that. And I began to come every Saturday morning with something prepared that would always be shared in, you know, out on a cornfield, out on a slope, like a uh, these steep slopes of these mountain um, communities where people were farming corn and beans. And eventually, I mean, the people liked the Bible studies and were so inspired and, you know, by kind of what we were all learning together and um, that people began to want to practice what we were reading about in Acts chapter two, about how everyone ate together and um, had everything in common. And, And so we began to meet in homes on Saturdays for a meal and we would do our Bible studies that way. Um, we ourselves have been inspired a lot by the dialogical, you know, sort of participatory pedagogy of Paulo Freire, you know, um, pedagogy of liberation. So the idea was to, to really try to inspire um, other people through asking questions, through getting them to analyze the text and their own context, their own lives. And so our approach was, uh, you know, really about inviting each person to share what they thought and and not coming in as the experts, which we actually weren't. Um, although we were um, we were able to read and most of our, our people couldn't read or write. And so they were dependent upon us. Um, 
But anyway, we would come in with the Bible and we would read a couple of verses, uh, ask questions, get people discussing. And for us, it was quite exciting to see people's eyes brighten as they would discover for themselves the liberating message. And most of these people saw God as against them. And they assumed that their poverty was a punishment and that the many children that they'd lost through amoebic dysentery were uh, God's judgment on them. And that was the message that a lot of the churches uh, were proclaiming as well. So our message, which was taking, uh, which was being shared, you know, outside the church in homes and in the fields was beginning to resonate with people. And then we got asked to do the same kind of thing in other communities. So every week we were doing Bible studies uh, eventually after about, you know, our fourth year there. And that became something that, that actually inspired us enough to want to go to study theology in France. And um, with the objective of learning uh, how to really read scripture and, you know, learning theology so that we could, we could return to Honduras and, you know, and bring some of, um, some deeper reflection uh, and, and some of the gifts that, that the academy had to offer, we wanted to bring those to the people who didn't have access to that that learning. So anyway, proclamation became something that um, eventually I I became warmer and warmer to. And I'll never forget um, Yves Alul. He's the son of uh, of a man named Jacques Alul, a French theologian. Yves was a pastor, and his wife Danielle was our Greek teacher. And we would go visit Yves in his parish um, near uh, Montpellier. And Eve had such a humble and simple way of speaking and preaching and um, baptizing people and doing all the pastoral acts that I remember thinking, wow, if Eve is a pastor, I could be a pastor. And so um, anyway, that's sure enough, Gracie and I both um, became, um, went into, into the Presbyterian Church when we returned to the United States. We went through the process of ordination and to be ministers of word and sacrament. So anyway, that's a little bit of the background. And, um, you know, and then um, around 28 years ago now, we moved up here to Skagit County, where I began to lead Bible studies in the jail, which was in keeping with the style of us just reading outside of religious settings. So what's inspired me today um, is looking at this term, keruso, which is preach. It's often translated that way, but the word actually doesn't necessarily mean preach like we think of in um, our our approach of, you know, like entertainment or, or you know, being up on a, up on a stage or, you know, behind a pedestal, um, a podium or whatever. Preaching can mean to be a herald, to officiate as herald, to proclaim, to, um, to announce, you know, um, to publicly announce truths. And um, right at the beginning of the gospel, the very first thing that anyone is described as doing is preaching. John the Baptist, Mark or Matthew 3, verse 1. Now in these days, those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then the very first thing that Jesus ever says to anyone after he's had his confrontations with the devil in the wilderness, his first public words are, word for word, what John the Baptist um, was preaching. Matthew 4, 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then right away in the next, uh, after in verse 23, Jesus is described as going throughout all Galilee, 
teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming, that's the same word, preaching, you know, uh, Kiruso, the gospel of the kingdom. So he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And um, and that's repeated in, in Matthew 9, 35, word for word. But um, what I find fascinating is right away in Matthew 10, verse 7, Jesus sends out the 12. He says, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he tells them also, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. And, um, and Jesus is all about um, training us, training his disciples to be in, tuning in to the living word that God speaks. Um, and so he says in Matthew 10, 27, what I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim or preach upon the housetops. So this is a, a major function of being a disciple, is being a proclaimer. And um, and it's beautiful um, how Jesus just moves um, with his 12 disciples and uh, teaching and preaching, casting out demons. Matthew 24, 14, Jesus says, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. So this is the primary function of the disciple is proclaiming, um, which was different than our primary function when we went to Honduras, which was, you know, to serve people um, through teaching composting and uh, intensive hillside agriculture and nutrition and health, which ended up being great entry points for, um, for this other uh, larger growing ministry of the word that we had. But um, what's interesting about Jesus is it's just straight up, um, you know, proclamation and um, healing and deliverance. So, you know, we see the same thing in Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, Jesus, he came into Galilee, which was a really um, marginalized area. It was not, you know, it was not the, you know, the, the center of, of activity like Jerusalem, but it was you know, it was the far north area that was called Galilee of the, of the Gentiles or the nations. So he was preaching the gospel of God. And he was always about moving from place to place. Let us go somewhere else, he says in Mark one thirty-eight, to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also. For that is what I came for. And he went into the synagogues throughout Galilee, preaching and casting out demons, preaching and casting out demons, just this relentless, repetitive action. And, uh, and the news spreads around everywhere. And uh, Jesus, um, he points out, I mean, he appoints the 12 and sends them out also to preach in Mark three fourteen. And then when the Gerasene demoniac, the guy with the legion of demons is um, delivered, when Jesus casts them into the, into the herd of pigs, he, um, this man begins to proclaim in the Decapolis, the 10 cities, uh, surrounding that area, what great things Jesus had done for him. So that gives us a sense of the content of the proclamation. Um, this man was proclaiming what great things Jesus had done for him. And at the end of Mark's gospel, it says that the disciples, they went out and they preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. Wow, that's so interesting. Um, just that that is the primary emphasis is communicating the liberating message. I like to call it um, that instead of just saying preach, because really um, proclamation means 
communication, you know, getting the word out and however that needs to be done. And, um, and that differs from context to context. It can be done through the internet, you know, through podcasts, through, um, you know, zoom trainings, you know, through, um, big stage events, you know, uh, via YouTube. I mean, there's just endless ways, you know, uh, we can do it as by phone, we can do it, um, you know, in parks and in homes and in, uh, classrooms. And that's, and that's, that would be the equivalent, I think of, of what it might look like, you know, for us today. I love how, uh, in Luke's gospel, the very first time that uh, Jesus is preaching, he quotes from Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. See, there you go. That's the first priority in the bullet points of uh, Jesus's mission statement. Preach the gospel to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, freedom for those that are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And um, in Luke 24, 47, Jesus, his emphasis is that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed. Wow, that is beautiful. Just uh, calling people to change their way of thinking and confess and then receive forgiveness for their sins. And that needs to be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And right away in Acts chapter 8, verse 5, Philip, that's what he's doing. You know, when the persecution happens, starts after Stephen is killed for preaching, this powerful sermon after he had been anointed and commissioned to care for widows at the sort of the equivalent of a food bank of the early church, you know, because the spirit came upon him, he, um, the spirit had other, other plans for Philip. Philip became this powerful uh, preacher, which led to his being uh, stoned, which led to this uh, persecution. And Philip goes to Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. So, um, you know, it's just, uh, it goes on and on. And I, I love what Paul, um, you know, writes about proclamation. And I just want to write, uh, read a little bit about that in Romans chapter 10. Um, this is a scripture that really talks about the power of the word and how, you know, how the word, you know, when we proclaim it, you know, has uh, a power of its, of its own, um, like if we begin in verse 10, um, for the word, for with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. And um, for whoever will call in the name of the Lord will be saved. So here's the part that I find so fascinating. Verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him? whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? See, there's got to be someone who carries the message to the people, which, uh, which Jesus was all about. And he was empowering his disciples and sending us out in the same way. How will they preach unless they're sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. And, um, and so really, um, this is one of the primary functions of, you know, of, of a disciple of Jesus. And, um, in verse 17 of, of Romans 10, you know, Paul writes how faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So really it's, um, it's the way, um, 
the way that Jesus works is to um, is to speak and to you know he spoke as the embodiment of you know of of the of God in the flesh didn't he and um, you know one of my favorite scriptures about this proclamation um, ministry of Jesus that we're all invited into is the parable of the sower. I'm just going to look at that a little bit. And uh, it's in Mark chapter four, you know, in that parable, and this is one that we use so much in Honduras and because everyone, they were corn farmers, bean farmers, you know, coffee farmers. And, but we were primarily working with people uh, who are planting corn, like the milpa out in the fields in steep mountainsides. Listen to this verse three. Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up, and increase, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and a hundredfold. Wow. Um, and then he says, the one who has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, so this is a message to anyone that has ears, um, who is able to hear with this admonition. Let that person hear, like open your ears. Why open your ears? Um, well, interestingly, um, Later, we learn that the word that Jesus is, um, I mean, that the seed is really the word that is proclaimed. So the sower is the preacher, the, pro the proclaimer. And, and, the, and the seed, the word goes into through the ear. That always caused the campesinos, the peasants we work with to laugh, you know, to chuckle to think that, you know, that seeds were, thrown, were planted in people's ears. And, uh, and so we, we had long laughs about that and out in the fields and... But, you know, it, it was it's such a beautiful metaphor. And what I love about this text is that the sower is an indiscriminate, liberal, uh, generous sower who is letting the seed fall um, everywhere. And he's not discriminating. He's not saying, well, I'm only going to plant, you know, in the soil that's the good soil. And I think this text could be read as suggesting that, that all of us maybe have um, different types of soil in our own beings in our spirits in our minds uh, you know we can we can have places in us that are receptive to the word and other places that are like the like the road you know um where uh, the birds come and they eat it they snatch it right off the road right off the hard hearted places that we have and uh anyway so jesus then goes on to talk about how um he you know he teaches in parables um but to you, he says, the disciples, that is, have been given to know the mystery of God, of the kingdom of God. And for those who are on the outside, they get everything in parables. And that's because um, to be a disciple is really to, to be a learner, to be a pupil, to be someone who comes to Jesus and who asks Jesus for the meaning. Um, and so, you know, proclaiming, you know, we, 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 we throw the seed out there, but what we really want is for people to um, become learners, to become pupils, to, so that they themselves will come to the teacher, Jesus himself, and ask questions and then receive the mysteries from uh, the mouth of Jesus himself from, through the Holy Spirit. So um, 
Anyway, so the word of God is something that we can proclaim like a sower sows seed. And so once again, that's a metaphor that's different than just being a, an entertainment person on a stage um, or someone who, um, you know, who seems beyond what any of us could do. And um, I love how Jesus in this same section of Mark's gospel speaks about um, the seed in a different way, beginning in verse 26. And he was saying, the kingdom of God is like a person who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now this seems to be communicating the idea that actually uh, proclamation is something that is easy. It's as easy as just uh, sowing the seed and then just going about our life, you know, um, going to bed at night, getting up in the day. And this message that we're proclaiming um, has a life of its own. It has a power of its own because the word of God is living. And, um, and this is seed that has the potential of bearing lots of fruit, you know, 30, 60, 100 fold, like it's miracle seed. You know, the word of God is, um, is coming from the, the mouth of God. It's when the Holy Spirit takes this word that we're, um, we're communicating through, however we do it, through leading a dialogical Bible study, through preaching from a stage, through a podcast, through speaking um, on a YouTube video, however we're doing it, by phone, in a village, in the fields, um, in a park, you know, that word that goes out um, has a power of its own. You know, I've, I've spent lots of time reflecting on how to lead an effective Bible study that empowers people. You know, I've written um, Reading the Bible with the Damned, where I've reflected and modeled a way of liberatory reading. I've uh, since then written um, Guerrilla Gospel, Reading the Bible for Liberation in the Power of the Spirit, where I've actually gone through and carefully described my whole reading strategy. Um, because I think there are best practices for reading the Bible with people and for preparing liberatory Bible studies, you know, and engaging people with scripture in a way that leads to um, ideally greater clarity than, and more clarity than confusion. And I do believe that there are value, there's, there's a value in becoming as deliberate as we can and careful and sensitive about how we sow the seed. And yet here the sower is just sowing. Um, and the, and I guess the, 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 you know, the, the beneficiaries of the, of the, of the word are, there's an indiscriminate approach to, you know, who gets this word. And so it's not talking as much about the technique. Although, you know, just casting it out there looks pretty easy, doesn't it? Anyway, I've just been witnessing over these last years, especially as we come right now to our 40th year anniversary of being in ministry. I've been seeing, um, after being here 28 years in the Skagit Valley, how we're seeing fruit, you know, from Bible studies that we led um, 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Um, people who we met in the jail are, some of them are just coming now and beginning to visit us in our, our faith community or coming to our Bible studies or calling us and wanting to be baptized. 
and we're seeing the power of those words that were sown um, years ago. Um, like just the other day, I was out in a village, a, like village, a, a small town upriver from where we are, and uh, and a guy shows up with a in a truck with um, you know he painted it um, over he painted over all these marijuana leaves so. Um, it looked like almost like a camo truck, but it was just a, it was a green truck with with weed, you know, weed uh, leaves, <laughs> you know, everywhere on the truck. And he was a, a guy who he and his girlfriend, they you know, they cut rounds of cedar for shake. And he shows up and he goes, hey, Bob, I remember you from the jail. And then the following week, um, I came for the to do a Bible study with my friend there and this guy, Joe, pulls up right when we start the Bible study and he walks in and sits down and says, can I join you? And he was very receptive. And I doubt that he'd been to any Bible studies between when he was first um, participating in mine years ago in the jail and and, and now, although I can't guarantee that, but th this man was uh, receptive and open. Um, Wednesday, this Wednesday, I went to drug court to advocate for somebody, and I ran into several people that I'd met in my jail Bible studies who, you know, who were, who were super receptive and uh, wanting to come and join us. And, and we've had, we have new people coming from, um, you know, from years, years back who, um, who, who I know um, received th these seeds in our Bible studies. And, and so I'm, I just feel super encouraged about just uh, the value of sharing um, messages, of uh, you know, sharing the gospel, communicating them, uh, just speaking out the truthful realities of God's grace through and salvation through Jesus, and engaging with people in verse by verse Bible study. I just want to end by looking at a scripture that is a famous one regarding the power of the word. It's Isaiah chapter fifty-five. Um, beginning in uh, verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bear and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Wow. So the word of God um, that goes out from God's mouth, mediated through your mouth and my mouth, it will not return um, to, to God empty, but it will accomplish what God desires. And we'll benefit from that because um, he goes on, the writer um, of Isaiah goes on in verse 12, for you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up. Instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up and it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. The word of God is, is victorious. The word of God embodied in Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ. Um, he's overcome death. So um, in conclusion, I want to read 2 Timothy 4.2. So preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction.